Father, all the world must keep silence before you as you come to judge the earth. So as you speak to us now uh, through your word, and we pray that you would speak truthfully through me, we ask that every one of us would have hearts which are open to the truth that you will impart to us by your spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Unity is one of those things uh, which we have a love-hate relationship with, don't we? Because we know we need unity. Uh, If we're in a family, we need unity. We need unity as a church. We need unity as a nation. We need unity as a world and as a human race. The question is always, uh, what am I willing to give? Uh, How much am I willing to put myself out for the sake of that unity? Leaders always call for unity. But that's because they're leading. They want us to go in their direction. Uh, Less so the followers. Sometimes the followers aren't actually wanting the unity because they don't like the way the leader's going. Well, we see here in this passage what God would do to give unity to his human race which he has created. Uh, We saw last week the raising of Lazarus, the climactic miracle of John's Gospel. Uh, where Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb where he had been for four days. I've remarked that uh, Lazarus's family seemed to have been quite wealthy and well-connected, and that's why a lot of people came to the little town of Bethany, a few kilometres out from Jerusalem, came out from Jerusalem to, to visit them, to con- condole with Mary and Martha, who'd lost their brother. Uh, and as a result of this prominence of the family, Jesus' raising of Lazarus would not exactly have remained a secret. And so we learn in the first few verses of today's passage uh, that many people believed in Jesus because they had seen what he'd done with Lazarus. By the same token, the Pharisees and the priestly leadership in Jerusalem got wind of these events and they, they summoned the Sanhedrin to work out a response. They were worried because Jesus was just performing too many miracles. Uh, One or two miracles, perhaps you could argue with, you could say that it was a fluke or an exaggeration or a sleight of hand or it was misreported. But this man, Jesus, was just performing too many signs, the leaders said. The evidence that he was something really special was becoming overwhelming. And that's the reason that uh, the, the... Well, the the reason that's a problem for the leadership is put well in verse 48. This sort of, if you have a look at that verse, you'll see it, it, how, what their fears are. He said, they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So you see, what they fear is firstly that everyone will believe in Jesus. And then secondly, that under Jesus' leadership, the Jewish people will become unstable and that is going to lead to the Romans coming in and crushing the rebellion and above all, what the leadership are afraid of is the loss of their place, that is their temple. Because they're going to lose their identity as Jewish people that that they get from their temple. Now, the leaders were probably wrong in their fears in that Jesus was not going to incite the Jews to a rebellion that would lead the Romans to come and crush it. But the fact is that is what they feared and those are the fears that they acted on. Uh, You you get the sense 
uh, in this report of the Sanhedrin's conversation that there was a lot of hand-wringing going on. They're saying, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? And that's when somebody spoke up who was bold and shameless enough to suggest the most cynical solution. Verse 49. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Well, the logic is impeccable, isn't it? If this man, Jesus, is endangering the nation, Caiaphas says, it's better that he die. The option would be for the whole nation to perish, and they don't want that. So it's better that he die. This is the epitome of what we call the ends justifying the means, or real politic, Machiavellianism, Whatever you want to call it, Caiaphas said it's better that Jesus die for the sake of the nation. And it doesn't matter in Caiaphas's mind that Jesus has done nothing wrong. Now, the idea of killing Jesus is, of course, not brand new. They had already tried to stone him in the months before. But what we're reading here is another level of deliberate planning. This is the ruling council setting out to assassinate a man, an innocent man, for political ends. And that is not even to mention that this innocent man is our creator. How can we read this without trembling? This is the high priest proposing to assassinate God. And yet on the flip side of this Ultimate wickedness is God's wonderful plan. Because God intended a completely different meaning for those murderous words of the high priest. God used the high priest against his own will to speak a word of prophecy. See, as high priest that year, it was fitting that Caiaphas should be the one to utter a prophecy which would explain the meaning of Jesus' death, that he was soon going to die. Have another close look at verse 50. These are Caiaphas' words, remember. It is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation. One man is to die in place of, instead of, the nation. One man will stand in the breach and by his death, He'll prevent the whole nation from perishing. You see, the words of the high priest were perfect to convey God's word to us about the meaning and the effect of Jesus' death. Verse 51, John gives us this piece of commentary. Uh, He says, Caiaphas didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. So I want to ask you here today, are you crystal clear in your mind about why Jesus had to die? Because this is an opportunity to to become crystal clear. He died for, he died in the place of the Jewish nation and, and the rest of the human race as we're going to see, but he died in place of the Jewish nation 
The, the in place of means that he died instead of us. Now, this is why we often say that Jesus took the punishment. If Jesus had not died, then it would be necessary for you and me to face the judgment of God, to face the penalty for my sins, which is death and hell. And Jesus took that for me in my place. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me to him to death pursued? You see, this is the wonderful plan of God that Jesus would die in my place. The plan which the prophet Isaiah foresaw in the passage that we read from chapter 53. For the transgression of my people, Isaiah said, he was punished. He bore the sins of many. This is why we confess our sins. This is why we remember Jesus' death in the Lord's Supper. This is, this is the crux of it all. Jesus would die for us in our place so that we could be forgiven and not face the eternal punishment for our sin. Now let me show you something else from verse 52. Jesus was to die not only for the Jewish nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Who are these scattered children of God? Well, they are everyone that God has chosen. They're everyone that God intends to gather in to make them one with his people Israel and make them his forever. These scattered children of God can be found in Brazil. They can be found in Vietnam. They can be found in France, in Madagascar, in Pakistan. They can be found amongst the English and amongst the indigenous people of Australia. They are scattered throughout all the nations and God intends to gather us together and make us one. Jesus died so that we could be made one with all the other children of God. The unity of the children of God comes, it comes from each of us being forgiven and reconciled to God so that in practice we might forgive and reconcile ourselves to each other. Every human attempt at creating unity fails. The unity of the Christian church is often in a parlous state, but it is destined to succeed. And that is because God gives us the unity. It's a God-given unity. And that's what gives us the motivation to keep trying for unity. If the Son of God died to make us one with each other, that's the motivation, isn't it? Well, coming back to Caiaphas, his argument won the day with the Sanhedrin, and so as it says in verse 53, they began to plan his assassination. The last few verses of chapter 11 explain how Jesus then bided his time. He knew of this plot, I guess the Sanhedrin had leaked, or, or Jesus, of course, with his supernatural knowledge, knew of the plot, and so he withdrew again to a little town called Ephraim, and it seems that he spent time with his disciples there, teaching them and building them up. He was biding his time 
But of course he has every intention of completing his father's plan. He knows it's his destiny to face this death. He knew his mission and he knew that he would need to die so that you and I could escape eternal death and that the scattered children of God be gathered together as one. John tells us in those last few verses that the Passover was approaching. Is Jesus going to go up to Jerusalem for the Passover? Well, of course he is. We'll look at that in chapter 12 in in two weeks' time because next week I'm going to do something different for our St Jude's Day service. But I, I want to finish with three applications and I've put a dotted line under each of them in case you would like to write them down. One of them is a thinking application, one of them is a prayer application and one of them is an action. Here's the first one. The thinking application is this. Marvel at God's plan. Marvel at God's plan. If if it doesn't make you fall on your knees in praise that God used the cynical, wicked assassination of his son as the means by which all of humanity should be saved from death, that, that God spoke of his saving work through this Machiavellian high priest not knowing what he was saying, And if it doesn't make you fall on your knees to think that the Son of God would love you and me enough to die for us, well, I don't know what to say then. The first thing is marvel at God's plan. Second, the prayer application is this. Can I urge you to pray and to say to God in prayer, God, I want Jesus' death to be for me. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever just come out and said to God, God, I want Jesus' death to be for me. Receiving the Lord's Supper is intended to symbolise a dependence on Jesus' death. But the symbol is not the reality. You need to be actually depending on Jesus' death. And the starting point for that is to say to God, in the quietness of your own heart, God, I want Jesus' death to be for me, for my sins, in my place, for the death that I deserve. I'm starting to believe, God, that that I am one of those scattered children that is written about here, the ones that you planned from the beginning of the world to gather as one. And I know that Jesus died to gather us so I want Jesus' death to be for me. That's the prayer. Third, third, this is the action point. Forgive. Jesus made it crystal clear that if Jesus' death is to be for me, then I must forgive those who wrong me. If we look around us at our our own relationships and at the wider world, it should be obvious that if there's to be anything like unity, a great deal of forgiveness needs to take place. You and I can't control what others do and whether they will forgive, but we can control ourselves. I can forgive the wrongs that are done to me. If Jesus' death is for me, if Jesus' death is for you, then we need to forgive. 
If you're here today and you know that Jesus' death is not for you and you, you haven't prayed that prayer and you're not intending to pray that prayer, then I want to say whether you forgive others is your business. I'm not going to presume to speak to you about that. It might be helpful for you. It might be helpful for them. But if you're not doing it because of Jesus, I'm a little worried that you might be doing it because you want to be proud of how wonderful and forgiving you are. So I say this, if you're forgiving because of some reason other than your sins being forgiven by God, that's up to you. I'm not going to speak directly to you about that. But if you're a person here who has said to God, I want Jesus' death to be for me, well then, there's no choice, is there? We need to forgive others. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we marvel and we fall down on our knees in wonder at your plan, at your love. And we ask, Father, simply that you would move us by your spirit to respond the way we ought. To respond with that prayer that we want Jesus' death to be for us. And, Father, to go out into the world and to forgive as you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.